Welcome to Food Friday Leftovers, a podcast about all the goodies left over from Food Friday. I'm Dave Hopper. And I'm Ashley Kinsey. Tune in each week as we cover culinary topics such as food trucks, local food, pizza, veggies, beer, and wine. You hungry yet? Huh, I'm always hungry. Well, on that note, Ashley, tell us what's in the fridge this week. Oh, I think I see rugula. Today we're talking with Rabbi Matt Cutler of Congregation Gates of Heaven in Schenectady and Peter Kopcha, the organizer of the synagogue's annual Jewish food festival. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's an honor. So earlier on Vox Pop Food Friday, you mentioned that Jewish cuisine tends to use richer ingredients from time to time. And I really could relate to that because my grandmother used rich ingredients in her cooking, although I'm not Jewish. Um, But could you just tell us a little bit more about that? You'll find a lot with um, Jewish cuisine that synagogue life is part of being Jewish. What's really at the heart of of, of Judaism is the cultural life and how mm-hmm. you live, and so there's it's a really a gastronomic religion. There's mm-hmm. the direct connection between your stomach and your soul, um, just like your grandmother's kitchen. Every ethnic group, every family has that sense of wisdom and spirituality that's found in the major melting place of the house, mm-hmm. which is the kitchen. That's mm-hmm. where people gather. That's where they experience the food and is, is kind of has religiosity to it, as well as wisdom and folklore and mm-hmm. the secret of the family, that, that missing ingredient that's in every little thing, that, that notion of love mm-hmm. that only your grandmother can put in there and that only my wife can add for her children mm-hmm. and her husband. Uh, it, it, it's a really important part. Yeah, it's kind of like when, you know, you mentioned putting love in your food. There's always something where somebody makes something a certain way and you try to recreate it and you can't quite make it the way they make it. It's always that element. It's that extra thing that you're putting in the food without really even noticing it. It's funny because when I was in like third or fourth grade, my mom went back to work full time. So Sunday night became the only night that she was home all day to cook. Mm-hmm. And my brother started to refer to that as her guilt offering. Uh, she <laughs> she would spend all day in the kitchen in order to make this meal for Sunday that she used to do all the time for us. But now that she was back at work, mm-hmm. you know, that was the only time. Uh, so it's really a fond memory uh, mm-hmm. for me in that regard. So I have to say, this is the first time on Food Friday Leftovers that we actually have leftovers yes, from Box leftovers. Pop. <laughs> the other two haven't involved food, just talking about food. So would you guys tell us what we have in front of us? Okay, these triangle-shaped little pastries are referred to as hamantaschen. As Rabbi was saying, there is a connection to Judaism uh, with this dish. Uh, Mm. We celebrated about a week and a half ago Purim. And just very briefly, the story of Purim is the Jews were living in what was Persia, uh, and they were under the rule of the Persian king, Ashawaris, and Ashawaris ended up marrying a Jewish girl by the name of Esther. Oh, okay. All right. right. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was an advisor to King Ashawaris. Mordecai? But, uh, no, no, not, no. Mordecai, Mordecai was, was the head of the Jews. Yeah, that, yeah. that was the uncle. Head of the Jews. But the advisor was trying to yeah. And that get was rid his name was Haman. And, yeah. Well, he was not only trying to get rid of Haman, he was trying to get rid of the Jews in total. In- entirely, yeah. All right. Queen Esther stepped in with some personal risk to her own well-being and talked with King Ashuaris and turned that around. And actually, Haman himself was executed. And in celebration, not of his execution, but of his saving of the Jews in Persia, we came, uh, Jews came up with the dish called hamantaschen. And basically Hmm. what it is, it's very similar to a sugar cookie dough. 
and the three that you have, you have three different kinds here. One has an apricot filling, uh, one has a poppy seed filling, and the other one has a prune filling. Oh, okay. And what's interesting about these cookies are, are that it reflects the three-cornered colonial hats. Remember that from American history? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so that was a style also in Europe. And what this is is you're supposed to blot out Haman's name forever. So every time his name comes, children would make a lot of noise, and you get rid of Haman, even his hat. You would eat his hat to get rid of him all together from being around. By doing this, you're connecting with the story and the spirituality mm -hmm. uh, of what this is supposed to be and fighting for your survival and being proud about your ability to survive. Great. Is this something that is a part of the culture with food in Judaism? Is a lot of the dishes have a particular story and their storytelling as a part of the meal, almost like every holiday? Either we're giving food or we're taking it away. Uh, we have a couple of fast days, so mm -hmm. the food there is very simple, mm -hmm. uh, non-existent. <laughs> and, and certain times, so like, you know, at, we're, in the springtime there's Shavuot, which is when we receive the giving of, of the Torah, but we also celebrate the bounty of the land, and you're supposed to have dairy products. Mm -hmm. And at Hanukkah time, uh, because of the, the story uh, that how this little bit of oil lasted for eight days, you're supposed to eat fried foods. The like latkes. Right, oh, which is delicious. yeah, they're great, and the potato pancake—it's—it's it's really amazing, and at Passover again, it's you have unleavened products, so you have matzah. Everything seems to have that notion. Even the Jewish Rosh Hashanah story, the the New Year story, talks about apples and honey as a way of connecting to the freshness and the sweetness of the year that's supposed to be and the birthday of the world. Wow. That's very interesting. Yeah, there's it a lot is. of good yeah. stuff there. It's a really... A lot I want to try these cookies, but I yes. don't want to crunch on, on the... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's that's no the, on these. I yeah, the magic no. of editing can help you out there. And the rogalach, you know, which um, you know, I have to, you know, give a shout out to my friend Barbara Walton, who, who made them because it's her family mm -hmm. recipe. This is actually, has no spiritual connection other than it's just really good. And actually, it's my one of my favorite products. It's, it's a dough that has a little bit of... Uh, well, Peter, what's inside of them? Well, the the dough is is uh, ma made of half a pound of uh, cream cheese, eight ounces of cream cheese. Oh, that's what I taste uh, in there. Half a pound of butter, unsalted butter. Uh, you add a little bit of salt to it. It's best made if you have a stand mixer, but if you don't, a hand mixer will be fine. Mm -hmm. You bring the dough together, and then once it is fully mixed. You then shape the dough into probably three or four pieces of, of disc-sized shapes, mm -hmm. and then put them in the refrigerator probably overnight would be best. Next day, take it out for about 10 minutes. You roll each disc out into about a 9 to 10-inch circle. You then take a pizza cutter. You cut the disc. These are cut into 16. So if you think about... It's almost like a crescent roll, like those... Exactly. Mm -hmm. It's exactly what it's, uh, it ends up being. You can make them a little bigger if you wish. So rather than cutting them into sixteenths, you cut them into eighths. Mm -hmm. uh, these are made with... You spread uh, cinnamon sugar over it. You then spread uh, finely chopped walnuts and golden raisins. And then what you do is you start from the outer edge of the circle and you roll it in toward the middle where you then have this little point. And then they're popped into a 350 degree oven for about 25 minutes and voila. Well, they are delicious. Do you typically fill them with different things? Yes, you can fill them uh, similarly to this, but with adding apricot jam to it as well. Mm -hmm. I've had them with chocolate and orange marmalade, which is 
also to die for. So yes, you can have different different kinds of fillings. Yeah, it for reminds it. me of there's a Italian bakery that makes raspberry arugula cookies, and they're a different shape, but it has a similar kind of flakiness and the buttery taste yeah. in there. What's kind of interesting, and we don't have it with us now, but we also um, brought in for Ray knishes, and believe it or not, it's the same dough. We use the same dough for oh, the knishes, right? With here mm. versus the savory of the um, of the knish, but it's the same dough. Cream cheese, butter, and flour. So essentially, somebody could fill, make a savory version of this if they wanted to be experimental. Oh, sure. you bet. Absolutely. 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 Yeah, yeah. Sure. So what would be your favorite dish to make if you had to make one dish? Oh, boy. <laughs> one dish. I just wanted to give us I, I time say... to eat a little bit of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because these boy, are really dish. good. I, I guess I'd have to say brisket. I really love brisket, uh, which is... Uh, a very traditional kind of Jewish dish. Mm. We talked a little bit about the recipe and uh, and Vox Pop on it, but again, it, different families have different variations of how they make it. At Rosh Hashanah, again, uh, the the New Year, we celebrate the sweetness of the New Year, and that's reflected in the type of ingredients that you put into making the brisket to give it that sweetness. I use. Believe it or not, a combination of chili sauce and a 16-ounce bottle of Dr. Pepper. Wow. What? <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, man. My wife doesn't a... use that. You know, it's funny. It's, you know, you asked a great question. You know, what's my favorite? For me, I'm going to spin the question differently. You know, the food triggers memories for me. There's a dish called chicken in the pot. It's just you put it in a cast iron pot and you put it in the oven. You just bake it. And you cook it and with vegetables and broth. And that, to me, is just brings me back to a certain place. Brisket, I, I can tell you there, there are three or four different recipes that I've encountered you know, from different friends and family that when I have those, it takes me to a place and a time that, that is unlocks things. And that's what I really love about my Jewish culinary background is that it takes me to a place. You know, I can remember being a little boy and walking with my grandfather in Long Beach. I can remember being at uh, my in-law's uh, house in East Brunswick, New Jersey. I can remember being at, at my own table uh, with my wife cooking. And, and so they trigger these things that just make you sigh and smile. Okay, granted, there's probably some guilt mixed in there, too. And <laughs> Like you have love as a secret spice, a little indigestion comes from the guilt, you know? <laughs> That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that with us. Now, I have one last question about kosher. Obviously, I see the little K in the store on products, but obviously I'm guessing it goes a lot deeper than that. You, first of all, when you deal with labeling, there are different groups that label. And what gives them their authority is, well, guys like me, rabbis. Um, so a congregant would say, you know, what should I eat? And I would say, well, I respect, I know the guys who work at this koshering business. And so I respect their labeling. So, and some, there'll be some people that say, oh, I'll eat these guys, but I won't touch that product because, you know, I don't, I don't know them or I don't care for them. Uh, so you have the K, you have OU, uh, you have GLOT, you have all these different levels and labeling that represent certain types of standards. One of the things that you guarantee is that there's somebody supervising it who's there to make sure that the strictest religious laws are being followed. The second is that there's no mixing a product, that you don't find, you know, dairy being poured into the savoriness of the dough to make something that is a meat base, but it has a little bit of uh, butter or cream in there. You won't find that that's what the supervision guarantees. It also guarantees that, that the way that the animal is slaughtered and how it's prepared represents a, a certain standard. So for those who keep that lifestyle, they give a lot of trust and respect 
to these agents who say, we're ensuring that you are ingesting and eating your fullest religious potential. So it's a really big deal if you keep that style. It's a real industry and a really complex one to make sure that people guarantee their religious integrity. It's really kind of a big deal. Just to go along with that, I had a friend whose mom would say, well, you know, make sure you always get the kosher meat because it's safer. And it makes sense that it would be safer if there are more regulations in regard to how the meat is prepared and how the animal was slaughtered and everything that you're saying. Do you think that that would impact um, the safety of the, the food products themselves? I did until a couple of years ago when there's some, been some real exposés about some of the fallacies and shortcomings, dishonesty within the industry, uh, which is trying to self-regulate and to protect itself and to really ensure a level of things. For example, there are certain issues that are really important to me. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to make sure that, you know, there's no antibiotics or, or growth hormones and put in my product. Or, and I want to make sure that the, the people working on the farms are given a living wage and proper access to health care or documented in terms of not being part of a slave trade or, a, you know, an illegal immigrant. Uh, I want to make sure that there's an integrity to what's there. Rabbinic supervision of 1,500 years ago never would have thought about human trafficking. Uh, mm -hmm. They never would have thought about antibiotics and, you know, and growth hormones and shot into the cows to make more milk. But now those issues are present. Mm -hmm. And the next changes that come to kosher laws really need to address those very important issues, social issues, mm -hmm. that may not be a part of the Torah and the Talmud of, you know, from years ago. Do either of you have a short story to take us out on of a funny memory with Jewish cuisine, maybe growing up? I do, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. My dad had one of the most evil senses of humor that you ever managed. <laughs> and we used to do, Mildred Kreitman and her family, forgive me for telling the story. <laughs> um, and we used to do Passover and Rosh Hashanah with this family called the Kreitmans, and, and she would make chopped liver. And my father, it, it was god-awful. It was just terrible. <laughs> and, and and she would bring it down, and my father would say, Oh, Mildred, amazing. How did you make this more vile than last year? Oh. <laughs> and my father was sick and in the hospital, and Mildred came. She brought him chopped liver, and my father said, Oh, that's great. You're trying to kill me. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and, and, but, you know, Mildred, the way that my father delivered it was in such a way that it was, it was seen as joking. Um when you got in the car, and we talked about it really in the privacy of the family, there was a, there was a little humor there, but there was a little degree of truth. <laughs> but for her, that, that dark humor represented my father's love. Uh, so it was kind of interesting in that regard. That's great. Thank you for sharing that with us. And thank you for being here, guys. We really appreciate Thanks, we it. appreciate it, too. Thank you. It's an honor. That was Rabbi Matt Cutler of Congregation Gates of Heaven in Schenectady and Peter Kopcha, the organizer of the synagogue's annual Jewish Food Festival. This has been Food Friday Leftovers. I'm Ashley Kinsey. And I'm Dave Hopper. Be sure to check out Vox Pop Food Friday every Friday at 2 p.m. on WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Our producer is Jessica Blaustein Marshall. Our theme is Beach Disco by Dougie Wood. Food Friday Leftovers is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. And tune in next week to see what else we find in the fridge. 